When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast on this episode. The Utes take a loss and a tough one against the Huskies, and we look forward as Utah takes on the Wildcats of Arizona. And we've got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And we've got Scott. Hey, what's up, boys? I did not die. I'm back. When you sound so much better. It was touch and go. I mean, you you were so out of it that you were like sleep emailing the next morning. (laughs) You had laryngitis. You couldn't uh, but you wanted Apple iTunes cards. (laughs) You know, I was just uh, I was just a day ahead of everybody on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas, Utah loses a tough one, 35 to 28. A definitely a tale of two halves. The one Utah team went in the locker room full of confidence, doing whatever they wanted on offense, and came out a team that couldn't even get a first down. I want to know what happened in that locker room. Yeah, it was unbelievable the difference that I mean, I don't even know how to explain it, but like a different different people came out in the jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe 21... BYU's team came out in Utah's jerseys. <laughs> 21 second quarter points, flying high as can be, all the momentum in the world. And nothing, absolutely nothing in that second half. When, when in reality, you really didn't even need all that much production in that second half. No. You didn't even need to duplicate your first half. You just needed literally 10 points wins you that game. Oh, so, so, so close. But, but where, are, where are we starting? We're starting uh, first half, second half. Where are we going, Cam? I let's just let's just roll with the first half that honestly that was a remarkable performance Bryson Barnes was commanding that offense moving the team up and down the field over 300 yards of offense I mean they could do no wrong literally they were pretty much perfect in that first half it was it was actually, I mean, it was, it was obviously fun to watch and they executed so well. I mean, that, uh, Scott and I were talking about it yesterday, that play, the kind of bubble screen they ran for Vaki. I don't think anybody else on the offensive side of the ball could have pulled that off for a touchdown like he did. It, it was blocked extremely well, but his speed was the difference in that. Insane. Absolutely insane. Um, Bryson Barnes credit. I, I mean, I didn't think he had it in him. 
you know, I mean, he was, he was accurate. He was precise. He was outshining Michael Penix Jr., the Heisman front runner. And he looked like the better quarterback and he, he was in complete command. Ludwig was calling a great game. Vele, Vele was doing his thing, although a little slow on that on that deep pass. Uh, I mean, I, I they were playing the chariots of fire music when he was running down the middle. You <laughs> did look like he had a piano on his back on that one. Um, but hey, we still ended up scoring on that drive, and I mean, there really there really was nothing to complain about outside of the missed uh, fumble that Utah generated on uh, Washington's, I believe it was the second drive. And of course uh, the wonderful officials missed it like so many um, calls in that game. But I mean, overall you really couldn't have asked for a better, a better first half offensively. I mean, defensively, mm, not great, but you know, I don't know how against that type of offense, you know, I don't know if you can be too, uh, um, too difficult or too tough on the on the defense, but uh, yeah, I mean, going into the half with the lead, well, and life was good. And on the defense, the referees gifted them seven on that terrible yeah. PI call where the ball was halfway up the stadium in the fans. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that the fan the refs cost Utah the game, but they were bad. But they they did they did it they did change the game. There's no question about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that for, for that sure. official that threw that flag didn't even turn around to see where the ball was. She just saw contact and dropped the flag and motioned PI against. I don't remember who it was against, but it was. I mean, you've got to look at that. You got to look at the whole play before you make a call like that. Well, and the well how how. How no other official came in and said, hey, that ball's not catchable is beyond me. I mean, it's one thing for one to miss it, but for all of them to miss that, ridiculous. Uh, and the crazy part is when they were showing the replay on it, you couldn't even see where the ball was in the air because it was completely out of frame. It still may be embedded in the, in a tuba, for all <laughs> we know. I mean, Tyson Hill was jealous of that throw. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's some truth to that. But yeah, the defense, to, to your point, Scott, this is a very powerful offense that Washington has. The best you can do is kind of slow them down as much as possible. But hey, they, they gave Utah the lead with the offense, right? Going into half. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I mean, on the road against a top five opponent with all the injuries, where where this team's at? I mean, absolutely incredible job by by the entire coaching staff, by the program, by the team. It was awesome. It was it was phenomenal. And yeah, did, I mean, did I don't think any of us expected? Okay, Utah's going to come out and hang another twenty eight on the board in the second half. You know, but I thought, man. Washington's defense, they're susceptible. We've proven that. We're going to be able to continue to move the ball. We're going to be able to, you know, put some points up on the board. And then um, I don't even know what happened. I mean, Whittingham had no explanation today as to why 
the offense was the way that they were in that second half. I mean, he could not even give you a reason. It The only thing I can come to think of is that's just kind of the the type of game you're going to get from a walk-on at quarterback and maybe some guys that just aren't as experienced as what Utah was hoping for this year because of injury. It's kind of, it's almost like if you you take a snapshot of the whole season, it's almost been like that up and down. You look at, you've had some games where you're like, wow, where'd that offense come from? And then you look at Oregon state where we can't get the, can't get on the board. And you look at Oregon where we can't get on the board. And then it's, it's the story of, of, of Bryson Barnes and, the guy's exceeded expectations. He's done. He's done more than I think any any of us ever expected. Um, if you would have told me Bryson's going to start eighty percent of our games this year uh, before the season started, I would have crawled up in a ball and started crying like a little boy. <laughs> and and there's times, trust me, there's times I still have done that during this season, watching <laughs> watching him play, but. What credit where credit's due, he has he has grown up a lot. He has taken the heat and he's come out and he's won us a bunch of games. Um, but the problem is he doesn't have that consistency. His ceiling is just too low, and he doesn't have that consistency from game to game where he can just go or from half to half. I mean, he he has not had a three hundred yard passing game at Utah. And in the first half, he had 238. I mean, he could have fallen out of bed and thrown the remaining yards to get to 300. And he didn't. He completed four passes in that second half for 29 yards. And he had two picks. Four passes, 29 yards, two picks. I mean, that is literally worst case scenario. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to pile on the pick farmer because you're right. I mean, we've got to give him credit. Tough as nails. The kid is tough. I mean, look at the shots he keeps taking in the ribs. And he just keeps coming back. I mean, I think. And, and you know what? I mean, it, all joking aside, when he went out and Nate Johnson had to come in, I was scared to <laughs> death. Oh, no, I knew we were going to score with Nate in there. I knew oh, it. And then when he got pulled, I said, why? Keep him in there. Keep that. Keep a spark in the, there. And he was very only next in play. for one no, play. No, and we went backwards 10 he, yards. Hear me out. Very next play, Barnes throws the pick. There was a, a, that, I mean, that's on Barnes. That throw was awful. It was like five yards behind the receiver. Let's back no, that up. No, no, no. no, 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 no. You're going to listen to me. Oh You're going to listen to me. Okay, guess what? Nate Johnson comes in. We run that little sweep to to Money Parks. He gets down to, I believe, the six, five-yard line. All right, it's second and five, second and six. Momentum's on our side. We're doing good. But Miki Sugaturaga goes out, and and whether he held, it looked kind of from the replay, it did look like he held a little bit. Backs us up, and now all of a sudden from – you know, second and short. Now you're backed up. Your play calls have to change, and we're now forced to throw the ball with a concussed and a pig farmer who probably has three broken ribs. 
And and yeah, I mean the throw was awful. It's completely behind. And what was it? Emory Simmons, the receiver on that. I, I think it might have been know if it was Simmons, but but nonetheless, just worst, absolute worst case scenario. And then Washington goes out, <laughs> pulls the Kalen Clay, gives us a chance, and Mocha Fisi literally falls at the one inch line. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, pick it up, dude. But we couldn't even see it on TV because they had the camera stuck on the dude's face the whole time. Oh, my gosh. And I was watching it with my son, and I didn't catch it at first. And they show the guy running in, and my son's like, he dropped it. He dropped it. Pick it up. Pick it up. I'm like, what? wait, wait, what, what? <laughs> Well, what what I want to know is how does Michael Mokafisi and all like 310 pounds of him, how is he the first Ute down the field to the ball? Hello, wide receivers. Hello, running backs. What were you doing on that play? Give me a break. Where was your hustle? Okay, can we back up now back to Barnes? We'll, we'll get into that in the safety, but can we get back to Barnes? Sure, what do you want to talk okay. about? We got to give which, a... which which one of his four second half completions do you want to talk about, Cam? <laughs> I want to give a ton of credit to the receivers. Again, I'm not trying to pile on Barnes. He is what he is as a walk-on, but he's just not that accurate. And the fact that he did have close to 300 yards in that first half I think a lot of that was more on receivers than him. Do you? I mean, in that first half, he was actually pretty accurate. That that one, that deep ball he threw, that deep ball he threw to Vele was right on the money. Vele, Just like, Vele wasn't fast enough to outrun the guy. No, he did. He was ten yards ahead of his. He was ten yards he ahead of his. Just slow down. <laughs> His his lack of speed may have looked like he had to stop for it, but no, he did not actually stop. I'm just going to say, Nate Johnson's in there. Utah scores a <laughs> touchdown. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to die on that hill. Okay, let's jump back to that to to where we were. Marco Fisi jumps on the ball. Nate, Nate, we Nate, have Johnson, the... Nate Johnson's ball ball would have uh, landed about five feet short of a Vele on that. Utah has the ball on the goal line. And everyone knew where it was going. Why don't you go under center and run a sneak to get yourself three yards to get a little bit of cushion in the end zone? Why don't you run anything except for what they ran? I mean, come Ludwig Ludwig lost his mind in that second half. It was, I mean, they stopped utilizing Vela, or excuse me, uh, Vaki altogether in the second half. Um, there was no creativity, and it was just. I mean, JJ stood no chance. I mean, he had two guys on him five yards into the end zone. Okay, I want to ask you about your comment about Vaki. So Winningham said that they had to hold him back because he's, he was banged up, and they, they can't put too much workload on him. He was banged up in the second half? That's why they didn't use him? Yeah. Do you buy that, or is he covering for the coaching staff of not playing him? 
Well, he's the coaching staff. They should have made the call of where is he if that's the case. Okay, well, since since we're, since Cam brought this up and we're going to talk about the coaching staff, do you want to hear what Vele had to say about his fearless o, uh, OC in Andy Ludwig? He was asked post-game um, about the lack of Utah's up-tempo, and this is what he had to say. He was asked uh, why Utah went away from the up-tempo offense um, from the first half. And, and Vele's response, I would like to know the same reason as well. Us as players, we just we just do what the coaches tell us to do. We can't make the plays. We can't tell them what to run. We, we, just, te- we just tell them what, to, what we see. I'd like to know as well, but we still have work to do with what we're given. We can complain. We can piss and moan, whatever. But at the end of the day, we just have to make plays, whatever play is called. A play is a play because we have to make it. I just felt like we didn't do that in the second half, and everyone could see why we weren't able to finish the game off. Yikes. I don't know that I've heard a Utah player say anything close to this ever. Obviously, this is right after the game. Emotions are a little high. But you could tell uh, Vele was not happy with uh, Ludwig in that second half, whether it's, you know, just from a lack of up-tempo, but probably the other play calls. He he wasn't given much of an opportunity in that second half himself, um, but not good from Ludwig. I mean, I know Winningham addressed that very topic, and he said they like to go up-tempo once they get a first down and where they really weren't moving the ball. I guess the way I'm taking Winningham's comments is they just never really had an opportunity to go up tempo in that second half. No, that's not true. They still had some first downs. They still had opportunities. I'm not saying I Um, believe him. I'm just saying that's, that's what Winningham said. And, and you know what, maybe you can create some more first down opportunities by going up tempo when, when you're successful at doing it consistently and it's catching the defense off guard, maybe you shouldn't have to wait for those first downs. Just a thought. It's interesting that it does kind of seem like Barnes does do better with a higher tempo offense than a, a slow down game. And I think a lot of that is because when you go up tempo, the defenses typically have to pay a lot of base. They don't have a chance to really put in uh, a special blitz or trying to hide coverage. They they pretty much a lot of times just go in their base coverage, their base well, defense. Well, they can't they can't substitute exactly. Oh, I mean that's another great point. And, and so I think you do things like that to to aid a quarterback like Barnes, who's maybe not as you know not as talented as as Cam Rising. But we have seen Barnes be successful, and I really feel that when they play that up-tempo game, they keep the defense more on their heels. Yes, there's some risk there from an offensive standpoint, but I think it serves Barnes better to keep that tempo going. Okay, I take my comment back from earlier in the podcast. It, was, it wasn't BYU's team that showed up in the second half to play. It was actually Kalani's staff that called the plays in the second half. <laughs> Dude, dude, there there was definitely some A Rod all over that second half. <laughs> I knew I smelt something familiar. 
Uh, it wouldn't be the Utah Man podcast without a dig here and there, right? But it, it's the, the I guess just the final the final takeaway of this. So unfortunate because the defense did did enough in that second half. They only gave up eleven points. Well, technically they only gave up nine because the safety was on the offense. Um, and uh, it's just it's so unfortunate that you had such an opportunity to not only keep your season alive for the Pac-12 title to for a three-peat. But really a historic win for the program to go on the road and beat a top five team. Um, what that would have done for this season. Um, I mean, it, the opportunity w- was there and it's just it's just disappointing that that was the second half effort out of the offense when uh, when it really wouldn't have taken anything great to win that game. So with this loss, I think it clearly is known that Utah will not be going to Vegas uh, for, I'm going to say their fourth straight because 2020 didn't happen, a uh, Pac-12 championship game. I mean, for what the... That's just, crazy when you think about that, though. That What a run. It's been a tremendous run. I mean, looking at even at this team that Utah has right now, it, 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 it took seven conference games to finally really eliminate Utah from Vegas. Yeah. Which which is really incredible when you think about the number of injuries that have derailed some pretty prolific talent on this team. Well, there there's no there's no doubt about it. If if Rising was healthy, if Keithy Keithy was healthy, um, you know, for the most part you have most of your starters who you've lost for the year now playing. Utah, Utah's probably maybe the favorite in this conference. And I, I don't, I honestly don't feel like I'm a homer saying that at all. With what Utah's done with the lack of, of personnel this year is, is borderline incredible. And if you had someone who is as good and, and as consistent as Rising is, um, with this defense, Utah would be right there. Obviously, the Oregon game would have gone different. Ha- Does Utah win that? Well, we don't know. Um, would rising have been enough for Utah to win at Washington? Obviously, they're all just a bunch of what-ifs, but things would drastically be different, including that Oregon State game. I, I think that's pretty clear. So, um, But it is what it is. It's football. Um, you know, you have years like this, and you just hope that, it's not something that's uh, contagious and continues on, but at the same time, pretty remarkable. Um, I saw I saw a few national guys tweet out that uh, Utah gave uh, an extremely valiant effort under their under the circumstances to defend their their Pac-12 championship, and you know you come up a little short, uh, um, but it is what it is. You got uh, Pac-12 is loaded this year. Who do you guys think? Is going to the championship game, Washington and Oregon. I mean, Oregon I State may have a play, may have a say in this still, but right. I honestly look, and and I'm not saying this because I'm bitter how things went, but if if you're just being realistic, um, Oregon looks way way better to me than Washington. I think Washington's probably got the best offense in the conference, um, and they're the most explosive. But Washington, or Oregon has a legit 
good defense and still a very, very good offense. Um, I, I think Oregon State's going to beat um, Washington this weekend. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I, th- I think Oregon's going to win the – I think they're going to win the title this year. And I think that Washington-Oregon State game is going to be a good one. It's in Corvallis. Uh, Oregon State's a great team at home. Utah saw that firsthand. Uh, but I kind of agree with you guys. I, I, I kind of see Oregon as the best complete team um, right now in the Pac-12. I, I'm just going to say I'm just glad it's not USC or UCLA. I don't really have a dog in the race. I'm just glad it's not the Trojans or the Bruins, to be honest and with you. What a mess. Those two schools that basically started the demise of this conference are just floundering, and they're going to go to the Big Ten and flounder more. Does Chip Kelly even make it to the Big Ten? Does he does he survive this year? I I think they he does just because I don't. I mean, you haven't heard anything about him being on the hot seat. Uh, and I know he did just did just get an extension, which obviously would make it a little bit more difficult to fire him. But I mean, they're bad. They are really bad. And it's really, it's unreal. I mean, he was so dominant when he was at Oregon. And you'd think after a few years at UCLA, he'd be able to create the same type of same type of deal. And he is not. No, he's. I mean, he's not. He's not running the same system. Um, he's. He's. He's just completely kind of abandoned that, which I understand to an extent because you know that that system is not. Uh, it's not catching people off guard like it did uh, when he was in his heyday at Oregon. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's it's going to be interesting to see how USC, how UCLA. Quite frankly, I'm interested to see how Washington and Oregon do in the Big Ten because um, any coach and any program can do can be pretty darn good when you have a dynamic quarterback. Um, you have not seen Dan Lanning without a, a great quarterback in Bo Nix. His two years at, uh, at at Oregon, he's had Bo Nix. And now you see the same thing with uh, DeBoer. Um, how good is he without Penix? And uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how things play out there. Um, but uh, is Penix going to be gone? Those couple of those fantastic receivers are going to be gone too. I mean, here's a, here's, here's something interesting. Those, those UW wide receivers were something else. Mm-hmm. Um, o- Odunze or Odunze, however you pronounce his name was phenomenal. Polk, um, Bernard, um, and one of their best uh, wide receivers, uh, Terry, I think it's McMillan or McNillan, something of that nature. Um, he's only played in a couple games this year, but he's going to be a high draft pick. And he didn't even play and hasn't been playing. So, yes, Michael Penix is really good. And, he, man, he showed that, how he delivers those balls. But he's also throwing to an absolute wealth of talent at that wide receiver position. Just to go back to the Utah game, though, what you listed all those great wide receivers. I mean, we got to give credit to Utah secondary. Um, Especially guys like Taylor Johnson and and Snowden, who really are 
what, what's what's his full name? If if you were his mother and you were angry with him, what are you calling him, Dan? Smith Snowden. Oh, there it is. There it is. I knew you could do it. It's a little little difficulty for me there. But no, getting those young guys, those important plays and those reps against these top athlete wide receivers of Washington, it's going to pay dividends down the road. Uh, so I think that is one thing you can take away from this game is these younger guys that are getting getting reps, getting time. They're playing against these top NFL prospect players, and they did really well. When you look at what Washington's been able to do all season long, Utah's defense, they gave up some, but I think overall they did pretty well. Okay, staying, staying on this wide receiver group, does Devon Vele and Money Parks, who are our two best wide receivers, do they crack that Washington rotation? Money Parks, maybe with his speed. I, I don't know. Vele is a really good receiver. He just doesn't have top end speed. Vele has really come into his own the last couple of weeks. Yes, and don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying the discrepancy between what we have at wide receiver versus what Oregon, okay, yeah, what USC, what UW has at wide receiver is, I think, what is ultimately keeping Utah back from being one of those teams that not only can win the Pac-12, but hey, can go win a Rose Bowl can go, you know, make it to the playoff, can win a game in the playoff is, you know, obviously having elite tight ends and some of the best tight ends in the country that helped and that kind of offset that. Right. But I think where Utah has got to grow is we've got to figure out how to recruit some wide receivers. We need some dogs. We need some Steve Smith to come along. We need some guys that can come in and take over games and that just cannot be guarded. And, uh, it feels like it's forever since we've had that. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but I, I think that's Utah's next step. They've got to figure out where they can get an Adonze and, uh, and some of these guys on the roster that can come in and, and play at an extremely high level. No, I mean, Scott, okay. I, I agree with you in that aspect. Cause if you talk, if you look at wide receivers as draft prospects, for the NFL, I don't think you're listening Vele or Money Parks there. No, no, I, I love those guys and I love what they do and what they've done for Utah. And don't get me wrong, I'm not wanting to get rid of them by any means. But we need, there needs to be more guys that surround them and more guys. I mean, I, I look at this roster, uh, the wide receiver position, and it's just a lot of misses. It's guys that can't, can't make the field, can't make the two deep. And it's, it's quite surprising. Um, and, and it's really, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that's in the, in the last several years when we've, you know, increased our depth and, and gotten really good at a number of positions, that's the, that's the position that is still lacking. And we seem to turn over coach after coach after coach in that area. I'll tell you, I'll, I, I just hear Steve Smith music, baby. You know, he was out for the job once. You get Steve Smith to come coach your wide receivers. Not only is he, not only is he going to turn some dudes into absolute dogs, he's going to recruit some dogs. 
he's going to get some dogs from other programs that want to transfer and come play for him. Yeah. If, 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 we can't, if we can't figure it out any other way, that's a pretty good option. I, I mean, I definitely agree with you where you guys are coming from, you know, hopefully with Witted that, you know, things are going to get better. If you look at their recruiting class right now, uh, they do have a commit, a four-star, David Washington out of Vegas. Um, and it's hopefully things like that can kind of keep turning. But yes, it seems like over the course of the Pac-12, uh, it, it's those wide receiver spots that maybe um, haven't come up with the other uh, recruiting that they have been doing. So we did talk about the, the terrible defensive pass interference in the first half. Can we talk about the terrible offensive pass interference in the second half on your boy, Ryan? What offensive pass interference? Good God. Oh, my gosh. That was so awful. Even the commentators who were basically in Washington shorts couldn't believe that call. I, I just don't get what you do as an offensive player. He didn't extend. He didn't push off. Like... There was contact made by both players. I don't. I don't get what he. Like I. I just don't get how that's pass interference. And I want to not. I, I couldn't I mean, tell from the t from the replay which official threw the flag. Is it the side judge? Was it downfield? I mean, if it's downfield, how do they even see what happened? Well, the, the defender didn't make any movements that he got pushed. There was no really separation that occurred. Um, and let's be honest, wide receivers on every team in every game do do much worse than that all the time. I mean, he literally did not, not even extend his arm. And so it's just absolutely mind-blowing that a call. It takes a first down off the board. Um, puts Utah, obviously, you know, Utah struggles when they get behind the chains and, uh, that, that was just an absolute killer of that drive and what, whatever people want to say, and look, this isn't, this isn't sour grapes, but it sure looked how that game started to become officiated that the PAC 12 wanted to make sure UW stayed undefeated. That's what I felt. Utah's cost the Pac-12 millions of dollars the last couple seasons by knocking teams out of the playoffs. <laughs> well, well, you, you know, look and, at it that way. <laughs> but it, it's just one of those things. The, the officials there to call the game by the rules as is. There's not supposed to be. I mean, heck, Utah never never expects to get the benefit of the doubt. To, to win them a game, right? I mean, it's just call the game how how it's supposed to be called. Enforce the rules as is. And, and I mean, the, the officials have said, Kyle Whittingham even alluded to it. They took over the show. They wanted the show. Um, every, every play was a penalty, it felt like, down the stretch. And it was just absolutely ridiculous. Let the kids play. If something egregious happens, for sure, yeah, flag it. But the Pac-12 officials... The good thing is they need to die. They need this virus that is Pac-12 officiating needs to end. And that is the one good thing about the Pac- seeing the Pac-12 die is these officials and get rid of this. It's absolutely ridiculous. All right. So that kind of do it on our thoughts of uh, this 
uh, the Utah-Washington game, kind of where things are with the Pac-12. Uh, we're up against a break. When we come back, there's been some you know, coaches let go this past week and some rumors involving the Utes with that. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that and head into the Utah-Arizona game. This past weekend, there have already been a lot of coaching jobs already open. Texas A&M, who let Jimbo Fisher go probably two years too late, but the dude's getting, what, $76 million to go away? That's crazy. That's not a bad – I mean, that's the that's the American dream right there. That's a sweet retirement. That's a nice 401k right I'll, there. And I'll let anyone fire me and, and pay me $72 million. <laughs> I mean, I, I've long said it. One of the best, best career moves for anyone in this country is just to, you got to just trick one AD into a big contract and you're set. You just need to, you just need to nail one interview and you don't even need to be competent. You just need to just get the interview done, get the job and you're set. It's it's ridiculous. What what's going on in college football right now is ridiculous. How many coaches are getting fired while the season's still going on, and how many coaches are still going to be fired before the 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 season's end? It's crazy. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the transfer portal, recruiting, signing day getting moved. Teams want to get their coaches in ASAP now. Oh, for sure. And I, I think what it what it shows you is there's there's not a lot of programs in today's day and age with as much money's on the line. There's not a lot of programs who are willing to be patient for a coach. They want success and they want it now. And if you're not going to provide it, they're going to move on regardless of how expensive it is. There's really only one school in the country I can think that doesn't apply to. And that's just a little bit south of us, um, because they're 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 full fledged into mediocrity, and they're, they're I think they might be below. They're in it for the long term, baby. Uh, Mississippi State uh, also let let their coach go. Uh, Scott, you mentioned before we started recording, Boise let theirs go. I saw Brady Hoke, San Diego State's retiring. Um, so it, it, it's crazy. Um, obviously, Deion Sanders' name is getting brought up with all of these. And, and to your point, Scott, programs, universities not willing to be patient. Um, I, I think Colorado has proven that you can't turn it around in one season with nothing but transfer portals. Well, I mean, UNLV is an interesting case here because they did the same thing. They actually were just behind Colorado last year in the amount of roster turnover that they had. And they're, I believe, I'll have to, I don't know, I haven't looked, but I think they still only have one loss, which for UNLV this late in the season, that's pretty remarkable. They've been, they've been an absolute um, dumpster fire for how long? especially in football they've hardly had any success and uh, so they're kind of the one program that has proven that they can have a quick turnaround um obviously colorado got all the attention from dion and uh, and what he's done there but uh 
I'm going to laugh. I will not stop laughing if Colorado loses prime after this investment that they've made um, after the roster turnover, because if Dion goes, most of those kids are going to leave as well. The next coach is going to have a hard haul there. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's they, they could be in worse shape than they were previously. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. So UNLV is eight and two on the year, six and one in the Mountain West, uh, up there with the Air Force tied uh, in the Mountain West standings. I, I mean, I get to me that's a little bit different doing it at, at that level um, compared to a P five conference like the PAC 12 or the, or even the sec. For sure. For sure. But, but it's a huge jump for you. And it is, it is, and I'll, you know, give them credit for that. Um, so I, I know like I, you know, we're a Utah podcast, like why the crap are you talking about Deion Sanders rumored with A&M and Mississippi state? Uh, there is online rumors that A&M, I don't know if it's fans or some boosters really want to make a run at Kyle Winningham. <laughs> I don't think Kyle would do it. Kyle's not going anywhere. He, At I, this, he's he's had a chance. He's had chances in in the in the past to go. I don't see him doing it now. Where he is talking about, really, he's on a year to year coaching. I mean, at his at his age, I don't think you go and take on a rebuild. I mean. It's different. You're going into a new conference and you're going to have a lot of guys returning. They're going to give you an opportunity to compete for a championship right out of the gate. So I don't, I don't think you go, I, I don't think he's even contemplating that. I think it's just a bunch of people talking. Well, I, I'll say this now, you never know. You, you can never say never in college football, right? Um, obviously very unlikely Kyle's going to do anything, but if AM, who has endless amount of funds, as you can see by a, you know a $75 million payout just to get rid of a coach, if, if they were to offer Kyle $100 million guaranteed to come coach them for the next four, six years, however long, I mean, let's be honest, that would be a little tough to turn down. A hundred yeah, million? I, I don't, I'm just saying, I, what if they come with a crazy number like that? Well, that, LSU is paying Brian Kelly that much money. Well, with, yeah, and and with and his, with his wasn't, fake accent. They weren't <laughs> even A and M wasn't far off with what they were paying uh, Jimbo Fisher, and so um, very unlikely. But I, you know, uh, there's a part of me that would love to see Kyle do it, just to see what he could accomplish. Um, because if, if, if he, if Kyle could go and recruit A&M with endless amount of funds, the dude could win national championships. He's that good of a coach. And at Utah, obviously to do that, I mean, that's a, that's a big ask, right? But if you go to a national program that just recruits itself, um, Kyle could make hay. He he could he he could uh, I think win multiple national titles at a place like that. But I don't think it's going to happen. He's he's too close to retirement. He's too comfortable here. He's got and he's, and, making, a lot, he's making enough money here anyway. Well, and I I think I think the thing that also factors in is his legacy. Is he's he's he is 
the, the king of the mountain as far as Utah football. Um, and, and, you know, leaving at this point kind of would, would, would factor into that legacy a little bit. And I just think he's too comfortable. He's got too good of a thing going here. He's not, he's not going anywhere. Well, and you're talking about winning national championships with the team that he potentially could have next year. Now you got to have a few pieces fall into place and who knows what happens over the summer, but, um, he could potentially be in the running to win the big 12. And with the playoff expansion next year, he could, he could be a playoff team and potentially get right there. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. You know, and that's the thing, the, there's no UWs on the schedule next year. There's no Oregon's on the schedule next year. Heck, there's not even really any USC's on the schedule next year. Um, you know, and, and I know you fans are crapping all over the Big 12, and I've done I've done plenty of that myself. Is it going to be a walk in the park? No, it's not. But it is it is substantially easier than what Utah's had to face this year. No, I mean, look at Utah's strength of schedule this year compared to BYU. They're night and day. One's in the teens. One's in the sixties. But I, I will say with Kyle. You mentioned his legacy. Kyle's set up where he's going to have his hands, his fingerprints on this program for decades. Uh, even after he retires, he has the consulting advisor uh, role that's built into his contract where he's going to have a say in who's coaching, how the team runs. And so I just, I, I kind of agree with you guys at this point of his life. I don't see him giving all that up. Just, just to go I, down I, think, to I think Kyle has so much power. If he had like a Barry Alvarez ego, when he retires, he could force Harlan out and take Harlan's job. <laughs> there, I mean, there's, there's no question in my mind about that at all. He's got that much power with the university, with how beloved he is. Um, now I don't think he wants that. I, I think he just, you know, I think that Cush consulting kind of assistant AD over football um, would be a pretty good gig for him. But uh, make no mistake, he's a power broker up there on the hill. Definitely. All right, let's jump into this Utah-Arizona game. Uh, Arizona, really a surprise, I think, in this season. They are 7-3 uh, and three on the row, or 7-3 and three on, the, on the season, 5-2 and two in conference. Uh, really, uh, Noah Fafita has come in. And, and just really taking over. Uh, I think Winningham called him the spark for the team, and, and rightfully so. Uh, just a tremendous player. I, I think maybe at the beginning of the season with Delora in there, you might kind of chalk this up that this is an um, automatic W for the Utes. I don't think so anymore. I mean, in fact, Vegas has Arizona as the favorite in this one. It, it really could be a toss-up, guys. It's going to be a tough game. I, I think, I think the youths can go down there and win it, but I think a lot of it's going to depend on their mindset. Like in their minds, what's left to play for? I mean, they last week they knew that if they win, they're still they're still a road to the Pac-12 championship. That's not on the table anymore. So. Do they have the same mindset? Do they go out and finish the season strong? Or is it just like, yeah, I don't 
It'll be interesting to see how they come out. That, that I think, Ryan, you nailed it on the head. And this Utah team has not been in this situation since really the COVID year. Um, they've, they've been in every conference race until the very end. I mean, heck, they've played in four of the last five conference title games. And uh, so knowing that, hey, your, your, uh, your chance, your opportunity, your goal for a three-peat is gone. Your, your chance for an elite bowl game is gone. Um, it's going to test, I think, the leaders of this program. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because I'll tell you what, if there is any sense of, oh, my gosh, that was a tough loss and now we have nothing to play for. And that drive, that hunger, that attention to details not here this week, we will get our butts handed to us this week against Arizona. What Jed Fish has done at Arizona is pretty spectacular. Um, I mean, Arizona was almost worse than Colorado when they were at their lowest point. Atrocious, couldn't, you know, the, the roster was completely depleted. And here he has them playing good defense and scoring a lot and they're beating teams i mean they're the same record as utah seven and three um and they've got some close losses in there where they they potentially you know could have another win or two um on the record right now so it's gonna take them it's gonna take a focused utah team that this still is driven to go out and finish the season the right way because if they don't, they will lose. When you look at the Arizona team, they are in contention to go to the to go to Vegas. I mean, they need some help. They they, they need yeah, some they help. Still have, they but, still have some odds to do it. Yeah, the the window's still open for them. But you look at their losses in conference. Uh, there's only two. Uh, they lost to Washington, thirty-one twenty-four. And then they lose to USC 43-41 in triple overtime. It truly remarkable where this Arizona team is, where they you know started out last year and even the beginning going into the season. Well, it's 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 crazy that uh, what Noah Fafita has done. Um, freshman quarterback who's undersized. Um, the nephew of Steve Fafita, who, you know, the great uh, youth defensive tackle from uh, from the Urban Meyer years. It's his nephew um, who actually grew up a Ute fan, wanted to come to Utah. But uh, we took Nate Johnson over him in that recruiting class, which. Uh, Are you, you know, proud of that, Cameron? I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> I mean, at the at the time, you're obviously you're gonna take you're gonna take Nate Johnson over Fafita at the time, right? But what what he's doing down there, regardless of his lack of height, the dude can play, and he he's productive, he's explosive, and for a young guy, he's got a command of that offense, and he's producing at a high level. So it's a pretty cool story, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I mean, ultimately. It's it's going to be a tough task for the Utes. Definitely is. I think the the big thing for me with with Fafita is he doesn't turn the ball over. Sixteen touchdowns, only four interceptions uh, on the year. Remarkable for a young quarterback. Uh, and and well, really, Arizona, think, they've got they got some wide receivers. Well, they they may have as good of a core as Washington. So um, that that helps any quarterback, as as we know. 
Um, but again, it's just another test for the secondary. Defensively, they give up some points. I mean, Colorado hasn't looked good recently, and they still dropped what twenty-eight or thirty-one, whatever. Yeah, it was. Colorado dropped thirty-one on them. And it, and it was a home. It was in Colorado, so there's that. But I think I think depending on the mindset of the offense, I mean, there's there's points out there. There's opportunities for them to score. Um, but. I think it's, it really comes down to the motivation of the team. No, definitely. And I know, you know, they we talked about that. The team talked about that a couple weeks ago after the Oregon game, not letting Oregon beat them twice. And it goes back to Washington. You can't let Washington be, beat you twice. Yes, Utah isn't in uh, the, the picture for Vegas anymore. But they can, you know, they still have a bowl game um, on the line that they can, you know, potential... Uh, bowl game, whether that be Alamo, Holiday, uh, Sun, Vegas. I'm kind of hoping for Vegas personally. Um, when, and you still got a chance for t- a 10 win season, which with what Utah's gone through, that's that's nothing to put your nose up at. No, definitely not. All right, let's go ahead and get to our picks for this game. Uh, so Utah traveling down to face the Wildcats at 12:30 kickoff because that's what Utes do. They play in the afternoon. Uh, on the Pac-12, currently Arizona is a one-point favorite. Uh, i kind of seen that hovering between one, one and a half. Uh, I imagine as we get closer, it's going to shift towards Utah, you think. But we'll kick over to you first, Ryan. Who do you got and what's your score? Well, as much as I tell, say it's going to come down to the mindset of the team, I, I am still going to pick my Utes to win. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a close game. But I think Utah... Edges it out twenty seven twenty four. Field goal, Scott. What are you doing? All right. Well, we all picked against the Utes last week, and we all were right. Now, <laughs> I think I think we I think we bounced back. I think we're we all go Utes this week, Cam. It's all on you. I'm going Utah thirty five thirty one. So one thing we we probably didn't mention. With Fafita being a young quarterback, a freshman quarterback, that's where Utah's defense is at their best. And it seems like Morgan Scally, you know, after the Oregon game, maybe took some things personal and, and took it out against ASU. Utah going up against a freshman quarterback again off of maybe a little bit disappointing performance. I think they tighten it up on defense. I think they disguise a lot, confuse him, get that pressure on him. I think Utah comes out with this win, 24-17. Rye, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Uteman underscore forever. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast and at our home, utahmanpodcast.com. And anywhere you listen to a podcast, we are there. And hopefully... Utah gets a big win over the Wildcats and go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. Kayai. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.